Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 185. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm excited to show you a peek into my world with the first set of discrete questions on Blueprint MCAT's full length one. As we have gone through the last several episodes, we're going through Blueprint MCAT's full length one, question by question, passage by passage. And I'm excited to really dive into the discrete set because it really takes a different look at how to approach the MCAT. And you'll see why I struggle with that as well. So let's go and dive in. Say hello to Phil from Blueprint MCAT. Phil, back for some more MCAT podcast, continuing our breakdown of Blueprint MCAT full length one, which again, you get for free when you sign up for the diagnostic exam from Blueprint MCAT. So go sign up yeah. for that if you haven't already, yeah. and then you can the, follow along with us. Yeah, the free practice test bundle comes with diagnostic, this exam that we're working through, as well as a bunch of other stuff. You have access to some um, QBank stuff, some like content review videos, just like a bunch of little things to help you kind of like work along, and it's free. So literally everyone should get it <laughs> because it doesn't cost anything and it'll help out with the MCAT prep. Free, 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 free. <laughs> it costs an email address, right? which everyone gives out for free these days. All right. Yeah. So again, kind of going through the mindset of this as well, as we switch from passage three, we get to discrete set one. Is that always going to be the the kind of flow? Assuming, right, we're, we're back into the normal MCAT time frame of seven and a half hours, full, full uh, test, assuming the AMC actually goes back to a full test after going, oh, wait, we right. can give a five-hour test and we can fit double the students in. Um, right. But anyway, uh, assuming regular tests, is it going to be three passages set of discretes or will that fluctuate? I want to be very careful about saying always because they may change something and someone's going to be very mad at me. <laughs> but generally, yeah, this is what I've seen on all the exams I've ever seen. So I think it's fairly safe to say generally yeah this is the way you're gonna likely see this okay so uh, hopefully a little bit of a, a break for a student who's tired of reading passages they get to the first set of discretes what's the kind of the first thing that they should think about before they jump into these just uh, discrete sections well i mean in theory uh, i actually like in review 
I like to look at if I'm trying to figure out like how to help a student and I'm working with them, I like to look at how they do on the discretes versus the passages. Because if they're missing a lot of discrete questions, very often they're struggling a little bit with content and there's just like something they just didn't know or, or some problem there. They miss a lot more passages. That could be like a data interpretation sign of thing. Or like maybe this passage was about magnetism and they're just like not very good about that specific content thing. The discrete sets tend to be just kind of a random grab bag of a bunch of just kind of like different things. And so there's not really much you can do to prepare other than just jump into them one by one. In theory, these should be quicker than yep. the other ones because you don't have to read the passage. You don't have to refer back to anything. Yep. Everything in general is contained in the question. Okay. All right. Question 14, I'll read. Uh, what are the formal charges on the atoms in the molecule below? Note, the molecule has not been labeled with overall formal charge and may have an overall formal charge that is zero or a value other than zero. <laughs> Thank you for that note. All right, and so just kind of describe this. If you're listening to this, we have Roman numerals one, two, and three. Underneath Roman numeral one, we have an oxygen with two little dots on the left and I'll let you describe what those are, but I'm just going to tell you what I see. Uh, I see what looks like a triple bond to a nitrogen underneath Roman numeral two and then underneath Roman numeral three uh, connected to the nitrogen is another oxygen with six dots around it. So that's what I see. So what is, what is the, uh, uh, for the student who actually knows what this what this is and how to act, like actually describe this. What is the like actual terminology potentially for what I'm looking at? I think it was pretty spot on with okay. the, the bonds. You have a triple bond and a single bond there with the three lines versus the one line. Other than that, I just call it a lone pair. Okay. So the oxygen on the left has a lone pair and triple bonded to a nitrogen, which is then single bonded to another oxygen with three lone pairs, three lone pairs. Okay. All right. So then we have answer choice a, Roman numeral one is plus one charge. Roman numeral two plus one charge. Roman numeral Roman numeral three, a negative one charge or minus one charge. Uh, answer choice B, um, minus one plus one plus one. Answer choice C, plus one zero minus one. Answer choice D, plus one minus one minus one. Now I think it would be fun if the MCAT actually made it really hard and 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 mixed up the order. So like <laughs> answer choice A would be Roman numeral one, two, and three. Answer choice B would be Roman numeral two, one, and three. And then you have to like rearrange it in Just your like, head. Yeah. That, bounce it all around. That would be mean. Okay. So so really again, go, going to what is this asking? It's asking what are the formal charges on each of these atoms? And it tells us that we don't know what the overall charge is. It doesn't tell us what it is. So it could be right. zero. So it's it's kind of a nice little hint to say it doesn't have to add up to zero. Um, right. It could be something other than zero. That's actually good to note because NO2 is generally nitrite. Um, but this is not the nitrite most people are familiar with. So if you know the charge, like you got to throw that out. And then the question here is telling you, like, you can't predict the charge. It's going to be something weird. Yeah. So go from there. 
yeah. And so we just have to kind of use our chemistry knowledge here and go, okay, what do these bonds do to the charges and what do the lone pairs do and all of that fun stuff. And I don't remember any of that. So uh, discreets for me, right? Going, going mm-hmm. from uh, what we said, I think last week where it's like, I use a lot of logic potentially to get these passage-based questions right. The discretes throw me off because it's really based on knowledge, which I don't remember anymore. Right, which is exactly what I was saying at the beginning. Like I like with students, I'll look at their like exams, the passages versus the discretes. If they're missing a lot of discretes, it means they're probably missing some content. Um, versus if they're missing passages, maybe it's a thought process or a reasoning side of things we need to kind of work on. It's um, an it's an interesting question knowing that the Blueprint MCAT course has really awesome analytics. Is that part of the analytics? kind of algorithm to say, well, you're missing a lot of discretes compared to the passage-based stuff. Maybe yeah. there's some some content gaps there. It, do, it does keep track of that, the discrete versus passage stuff. Cool. Um, the analytics stuff, super exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really having a good time looking at all of that. The more data thing that the scientist inside me is always screaming for, he's, he's happy for now. Okay. Um, so going into this, we have to figure out how to calculate a formal charge. So I'm going to give you the equation the, for formal charge, which is the number of electrons normally found on the thing, on the element or the atom, okay. minus the number of sticks and dots. The idea here <laughs> is the dots are lone pairs of electrons. A bond is two electrons, but they're being shared sort of unevenly. Um, or evenly in this case. And so we have the oxygen has two lone pairs and it's kind of got three electrons that from those like double bonds, each of those, each of those bonds is two electrons, but one of them kind of goes with the nitrogen. One of them kind of goes with the oxygen. Hopefully that makes sense. No, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I pulled up the periodic, t- periodic table here. Does the periodic table help me understand how many electrons are normally there? Right. Yes. And so anything on the far right is going to have an octet. So with the exception of helium, so like mm-hmm. neon, argon, krypton, xenon, all of those are going to be um, like eight valence electrons. Then you yeah. go to the left, they're missing one. So fluorine yeah. is going to have seven yep. valence and electrons oxygen and oxygen is going to have six. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's what I kind of remembered. I'm like, okay, I, ca- I counted. I said one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm like, okay, so mm-hmm. oxygen should have six. So using the equation that you just said, I should start with six. Uh, and then I subtract the number of dots and sticks. Yeah, so, just kind of add them together. So a bond yeah. counts as just one electron, and then any free electron counts as an electron as well. So if I look at this properly, I see six minus one, two, three, four, five for this Roman numeral one. So six minus one is plus one. Yep. Okay. So plus one gives me answer choices A, C, and D. So B is. A, immediately out so i'm gonna strike that through all right and so nitrogen should have five minus one two three four four sticks connecting to this one Mm -hmm. and so five minus four again i'm left with plus one which leaves me answer choice a without looking at answer choice three and i'm going to work through it just for fun anyway um so again oxygen sixth column here so six electrons minus one two three four five six seven minus one yep very good okay and once you know that equation and you're good at kind of applying it this question is actually pretty straightforward but the challenge is like just making sure that you've got that little outside discrete knowledge okay 
All righty. So on to the next one, where we go into a little bit of projectile physics-y kind of stuff. My, my, my kind of question. <laughs> so a mass of 10, kilogr- 10 kilograms is dropped from a height of 20 meters. Ignoring air resistance, what is the maximum speed achieved by the mass? Assume G is 10 meters per second squared. Oh. Yeah. I forget this <laughs> equation. Um, and so 20 meters, 10 kilograms. Uh, we know gra- gravity here uh, is saying, hey, 10 meters per second. Um, what is the maximum speed? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the equation. But let me see if I can just use some logic here and go, okay, what is this? Um, we have 20 meters. And if gravity is 20 meters per second, hmm, I don't know if that matters. Um, And we have a mass of 10 kilograms, 20 meters. Hmm, I don't know. Um, Yeah, so maximum speed, not acceleration, speed. For a velocity overall. Velocity. Now, does the velocity change based on weight? So I don't know. I, I think it does, right? Because we have a feather. The, the speed that that goes down is not very fast uh, versus uh, a bag of bricks. So the speed does change. So let me get that out of my head because I think it might be easy to go, oh, the speed shouldn't change, right? And they choose A, gravity. It's going to go down by gravity. Um, so A is, I'm going to throw out right off the bat. Um, and then D just sounds way too fast, right? It's like 400 meters per second. That's, that's very fast. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to go with C just because it's faster than 20 meters a second and it's not super, super fast. So I'm just going to go C without remembering the equation. I like your, your kind of like just ballpark like you very clearly like i'm not really sure what to do with this but d is very fast like putting d's speed in like conceptual like understanding this this means that every five seconds this thing's going to go two kilometers that's very fast like this is a very very fast thing answer choice c is also very similar yeah it's very fast too when you say like, that, that means way. every five seconds it's going a kilometer. Like yeah. that's that's a really fast. What is this? Uh, like a mass, mass. whatever yeah. this thing is. It's like this thing's like ten kilograms. Like if you drop it from twenty meters, it's not going to be going that fast. That's yep. like crazy. Just kind of like a little bit. Just doesn't make sense. Yep. Um, which kind of helps us get down to A and B. Yep. Now there are actually two ways to solve this question. The way that the MCAT kind of sets this up, you can use your kinematic equations. You have your like initial velocity is going to be zero. We're trying to find our final velocity. We have the distance is 20 meters. Our acceleration is going to be 10 meters per second squared. So you can use your kinematic equations for that. I actually don't think that's the easiest or best way to solve this. Um, if the MCAT ever asks you for velocity, there's kind of two things that should run through your head. One is kinematics. The other one is energy, kinetic energy. Very interestingly, there are some cases where kinematic equations don't work, where the forces are changing, like as objects get closer, they pull more with like electrostatics or gravity or things like that, Um, or springs, the more you compress it, the more they push back. And so in those cases, you kind of can't use kinematics, but you can still use energy. So as a result, because for a lot of questions, you can use one or the other, but some questions you have to use energy. My 
gut for telling students is like try energy first always because in theory that should work unless there's some weird like frictiony draggy thing kind of going on to be clear about in the question because normally we assume that isn't the case and so and this now we just have to convert our gravitational potential energy into kinetic energy and so the potential energy equation is mgh Kinetic energy is one-half mv squared. So interestingly, mass is on both sides. That cancels out. So gh equals one-half v squared. And so this actually runs a little counter to what you were saying uh, a moment ago. So technically, if we ignore drag, a feather and a bag of bricks, they're going to fall at the same speed. I've seen those experiments on YouTube with the the vacuums. Right. In a, yeah. In a vacuum, if you like pull out and like, it's really cool kind of like seeing that happen. Yeah. Um, the problem is the drag. And so yeah. we're assuming there's not going to be any drag in this case, especially because mm. we're only dropping it from 20 meters. If we're dropping it from like the Empire State Building, like it's going to reach terminal velocity, but probably not in this case. Um, so the mass ends up kind of canceling out. So we end up not needing to worry about that. So we just have GH equals one half V squared. You can multiply by two. So you have two GH equals V squared. And then you can just plug in the numbers to find the velocity. So G is 10, H is 20. So we have 2 times 10 times 20, which is 400. Square root it, turns into 20. Okay. I feel like that that might be easier to follow with a (laughs) whiteboard. Yes. But, yeah. All right. So takeaway there. Um, Try to use kinetic energy. Okay. Right. Like if, if you are a student, you know, prepping for the MCAT, you ever see a question where they ask for velocity, kinetic energy should be your go to first. So if you can convert like gravitational potential energy or electrostatic potential energy or spring potential energy into velocity through yeah. kinetic energy. Um, not only is that does that almost always work um, compared to the kinematics. It also, I think, is easier in terms of the math that like because the kinematic equations can be kind of complex at times. Okay. All righty. Question 16. How many tetrahedral stereocenters are present in cholesterol? Pictured below. All right, so if you're you're listening to this, it's just a standard kind of drawing of cholesterol here. And so it's asking for tetrahedral stereocenters. So again, very strict kind of definition. Do you know what a tetrahedral stereocenter is? We have answer choice A2, answer choice B6, Answer choice C, eight, or D, nine. So uh, I have no remembrance of what a tetrahedral stereocenter is. Uh, tetra, if I try to break down the the actual language, what's te- tetra? It's a four or six. I forget. It's four. Four, four yeah. So tetra is four. So four stereocenter. So something that has for connections to something else. Um, yeah. And so stereo center, to me, the definition of stereo center means like, is it the same on all sides uh, because it's a stereo center? Is that what that means? So with the stereo, you have like right and left. Mm-hmm. Like if you like listen to something in stereo, that's yeah. different than just like the one speaker. Um, so stereo center means you have a right and left version of the center, which is another way to say a chiral center, mm-hmm. right? And so tetrahedral, a chiral center is something that's like 
got like connected to four things. It's tetrahedral and it's also got some stereochemistry with the like right and left hand version of this as well. Interesting. So potentially connected to four things. Um, and so if we just look at this, like, okay, one, two, three, four, maybe that's one there. Uh, one, two, do they all have to be different? Yeah, because otherwise they won't be stereo centers. Yeah. So stereo center means there's got to be a difference from one side versus the other. Interesting. So if I look at, as I'm kind of using my mouse here, I'm looking at kind of the middle here, and I have this carbon that's attached to the hydrogen here, just straight up. Uh, the little wedge going straight up uh, to the right. It's going to another carbon that's attached to a hydrogen and another carbon over there. And that's good. They look very similar. I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, this is hard. Uh, so this this is one of those questions yeah. that students very often end up taking like three or four minutes, which you definitely don't yeah. want to put Just in that much time. At a glance, I'm only seeing two potential places here that, that look like they would be tetrahedral stereocenters, if I were to think through that. So I actually hinted about this, I think, last week mm -hmm. with the, no, it was the week before with the... Um, yeah, the dashes with, and the wedges kind of shortcut here. Yeah, because the only time you would include a dash or a wedge is if it matters, if which it means matters. there's a right and left form. Oh, so uh, ooh, uh, one, two, three, four, five. Well, there's seven. That oh, wait, oh, but that's a wedge there too. Darn it! One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I see eight dashes and wedges, and that's it. <laughs> Darn it! I wasted all that time going. Wait a minute. What about like one? like one atom at a time? Okay, there's an alcohol. There's a carbon yeah. to a carbon. But that carbon's got a double bond. This is a carbon to a carbon to another yeah. carbon without a double bond. And you're like, oh, there's also a hydrogen. And like that's all just to figure out the bottom left one, which is I think one of the easier ones, um, the alcohol there. But like, yeah. So there's a shortcut to this of just like the only time we would ever include a dash or a wedge is if it's a chiral center. And there's five wedges and three dashes. So, so let me let me ask you. Let's let's assume the double AMC wants to get mean, and they remove the dashes and wedges. Can you still get to the the answer eight? You would. You could. It okay. would be it very time consuming, longer. and I don't think they would ask that. Okay. Um, because they know that you have about a minute per question. Okay. And this is actually a good kind of like takeaway. A lot of times a student will get this question correct, but still in my mind, they kind of like missed something because they weren't looking at the dashes and wedges. So if you spend five minutes on this question, then you're going to miss some other questions just because you didn't yeah. get to them. So even if you get a question correct, it's really important to go back and see how long did I spend on it? And if you spent a long time, see if maybe there's a faster way. See if there's a shortcut. Look for like a some sort of you know like backdoor to the question because they exist pretty often. Yeah. Um, a lot of times the MCAT has three or four different ways to answer a question, kind of like the previous one where you're like, oh, it's not going to be two or four hundred because that's like insanely fast. That's like the speed of a bullet sort of thing. Um, and so, so, so another another question shortcuts. for the blueprint course with the analytics is timing in, in that analytics as well. Yeah. Keeping track of how long you're spending on each question. That's, that's a really crucial thing that a lot yeah. of times students don't think about. They're just worried about 
you know, did I get the question wrong or not? But yeah. how much time you spent on the question is actually really crucial as well. Um, and yeah, we, we keep track of that. Okay. That also. Sweet. So in my mind, what you're saying here is if a question is asking about chirality, if a question is asking about stereo centers, the, the potential initial first thought is dashes and wedges, dashes and wedges. Yeah. And like I said, every question I've seen from the AAMC that is asked about stereo centers or chiral centers, they've left them in. I don't know why it makes it so much easier if you can just like count the dash. Which I'm not guaranteeing that it's always going to be the case, but everyone that I've seen so far has always done that. And that, that just makes life quite a bit easier. Okay. All right. Question 17. It's all you. All right. So the preferred ion configuration of many elements on the periodic table is determined by A. The electron configuration of the nearest noble gas elements will gain or, or lose electrons until they have the same core electron configuration as the noble gas. B, the electron negativity of the element directly above it within the same group. Elements will gain or lose electrons until they have electronegativity that matches the period immediately above them. C, electron configuration of the nearest noble gas elements will gain or lose electrons until they have the same valence electron configuration as this noble gas. D, the relative stability of the nearest D subshell elements will gain or lose electrons until the outermost D subshell is stable. Hmm. So at its core, this seems like just like how is the periodic table arranged? Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't remember, although I did remember to count like one, two, three, four, five, six over to the uh, oxygen. Yeah, um, we're also asking about this like preferred ion configuration. So ion is when something's like gained or lost, like you know, calcium two plus is an ion, phosphate is a polyatomic polyatomic ion, PO4 three minus. We have to have some like plus or minus charge. Um so if I try to use some logic here, which I don't think I can. Um let me see. So noble gas, noble gas. So A and C both mention noble gases. B and D do not. Um, so maybe noble gases is something related to it. Um, the first part of A and C are both the same. Uh, elements will gain or lose electrons until they have the same core electron configuration as the noble gas, or elements will gain or lose electrons until they have the same valence electron configuration as the noble gas. Um, I don't know. Without knowing, right, without remembering, I'm like, well... A and C are very similar, so they're going to want to make sure that I understand the nuance between those two. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stick with A and C as potential and and hope that, again, I'm 50-50. And then I have to remember, uh, will elements gain or lose electrons until they have the same core configuration or have the same valence electron configuration? Uh, and to me... I think it it has it makes sense for valence electron configuration, not core electron configuration, because that would change what it is, wouldn't it? Right, like changing the electrons in the like within the inner shells. Like that's first off, that's way more difficult than like adding <laughs> one onto the outside or taking one off of the outside. Yeah, um, yeah, and. The, Another way to kind of like think about this, like remember you can use outside knowledge. As a matter of fact, you kind of have to sometimes in the sciences, just think of like, okay, what are some ions that I know of like common ions, like sodium chloride 
turns into Na plus and Cl minus. And so Cl minus, that starts to look like argon when it picks up an electron. And sodium, when it loses an electron, looks like neon. And so it's turning into kind of like the noble gas configuration. And that just makes sense. Um, And it's absolutely the valence shell because we pull or take them off of the outer shell, not the inner shells, because that's difficult and annoying. It's like trying to paint the inside of a baseball. It's a lot easier to add something to the outside of it. Yeah. Um, rather than the inside. Okay. So again, just without knowing anything, I just kind of said, what would a test writer want me to know? How are they thinking through this? Let me think through it in the same way. Yeah. Wow. Alrighty. So that is our first set of discretes here on full length one from blueprint MCAT. <laughs> Struggling. What, do, first, do I, first do I, of several. Do I have a 528 still? I'm hoping. Yeah, All right. yeah it's good to, to remember. You can miss a question or two and still uh, still get a perfect score on the MCAT. So we're, we're going to have to do real well on the rest of them for a 528. But <laughs> All right, there you go. Discrete set one. I struggled with those ones. And I hope that you learned something from that. That's why I do these and I really put myself out there and try to answer this and really think through it because I think a lot of you are thinking the same way, are struggling potentially with a lack of knowledge in one area. Obviously, I lack a lot of knowledge in most areas with the MCAT and uh, you may struggle with one set of uh, of knowledge that you're missing and, and maybe I talk through a section that you're like, oh wait, I never thought about it that way. And hopefully this helps you as you move forward. So thank you for joining us on this journey for Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1 going question by question. If you want to see the questions, read along with us, see the passages, see the uh, figures and charts and everything else, we are recording these as well, doing a screen recording and recording our, our lovely faces and putting them on the Medical School Headquarters YouTube channel at premed.tv. So you can go check those out, subscribe over there, and uh, and go follow along there as well. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash blueprint for more great information. If you haven't signed up yet for their full-length one and half-length diagnostic, as well as other goodies, you get those for free. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash blueprint. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.